0: Did you know that birds aren't real? This is the hot new conspiracy theory taking America by storm. For those of you who don't know, the Birds Aren't Real movement claims that birds were once real, but now have been replaced with drones. The new robot birds are used to monitor Americans, according to this conspiracy theory. The Birds Aren't Real advocates believe that in the 1950s, the U.S. CIA decided to replace every bird with tiny robot drones to listen in on our conversations. In fact, in 1969, John F. Kennedy was assassinated for opposing the plan, the theory continues, after seeing a prototype of a Turkey X-500 robot which would kill the real birds ready for replacement. Following several trials and upgrades, the robot birds were finally released in 2001 by Barack Obama. Advocates of this conspiracy theory believe that the bird drones charge themselves by sitting on power lines, and bird poop on cars is actually liquid tracking devices to track individuals. While you may think this belief is ludicrous, many both online and offline believe this premise. In fact, there was a rally which took place recently in Springfield, Missouri, and it was attended by a large number of people who really believe that birds aren't real and they were warning the world that all birds are really surveillance drones. Most believe that the founder of the Birds Aren't Real movement was making fun of those who advocated that the earth was flat. But sadly, joke or not, many have been convinced that birds aren't real, and it joins other ridiculous movement like Australia Isn't Real, where real-thinking people are convinced of an absurd idea and lie. In the internet age where we have access to more information than at any time in the history of mankind, and with people supposedly smarter and more progressive, why are so many educated, intelligent people falling into conspiracy theories and drawn into the allure of unsubstantiated secrets and supposed secret societies? One person writes, it boils down to fear. These people are so terrified that they find comfort in conspiracy. They are so insecure that conspiracy and secrets offer them a morale boost. All of this nonsense gives them an identity, a personality, a cause, and a community. Bottom line, they are scared people that will believe anything that gives them purpose and comforts them. Well, I believe there are other reasons why people are drawn to secrets and conspiracies. I believe that a lot of it has to do with cause and community. Now people have a purpose and a cause to live for, and a community of like-minded people who they can journey with through life for the said cause. Now, the problem with the fascination with secret things and holding on to conspiracies is threefold as I see it. The first problem is they are often drawn into a lie and a falsehood, which we talked about fake news and misinformation last week. In human psychology, there is something intriguing and alluring about finding out what no one else seems to know or finding out what has yet to be revealed, even if it's a lie. So, when you hear the words, I have a secret, your ears naturally perk up, and you simply must know the secret. And we are willing to go to almost any lengths to know what that secret is. By the way, you may have noticed that I got a haircut between last week's message and this week. If I were to tell you that there is a special, special secret reason why well, I get my haircut exactly every 21 days, and I'm going to tell you at the end of this message. Would it motivate you to listen to the end of this message to find out the secret? Stick around. I'll tell you this fascinating reason later. Now, the second problem that comes with the fascination with secret things and an obsession with conspiracies is that it takes our attention and focus away from what is really important, and it takes us away from the truth specifically the truth of Scripture. That's why I believe that Satan, as the master deceiver, has orchestrated so many secrets and conspiracies in our day and age to draw people away from focusing on the light of Christ. And sadly, Christians are also falling into these deceptions. In Jesus' own words in John chapter 8 verse 44, Jesus calls Satan the father of lies. Jesus' own words, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And the Bible tells us the father of lies blinds us so that we won't focus on the light of Christ. Here's what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4 says whose mind the God of this age, Satan, has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Now, does the Bible have something to say about all of this? Sure it does. The Bible tells us, in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, Deuteronomy 29, 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. This means that there are things that God wants us to know, and there are things that God doesn't want us to know in His sovereign wisdom. And we should not focus on secret things, but instead focus on the revealed truth that God has made known to us. And the principle is this, that which is revealed truth should be our focus, not on the conspiracies and the secret things, because much of it comes from the evil one who desires to take our attention away from truth, specifically the truths of Scripture. My friends, God is not a God who entices us to try to find out secret things. Deuteronomy 29.29 tells us that God is a God of truth, and He reveals truth. Truth is not hidden. Now, keep that in mind. The third problem with an unhealthy fascination with secret things and holding on to unproven conspiracies is that if our reputation is such that we are known to be people who fall easily into conspiracy theories and unsubstantiated secrets and espouses and propagates them often, then when we share about the truths of Jesus Christ and the truths of the Bible, then our friends and family may think it is also a conspiracy and associate Jesus and His death and resurrection as an unproven conspiracy as well. Simply put, if you are a known spreader of conspiracies and unproven so-called secrets, then why would anyone want to believe anything you say or advocate for, even if it concerns the truth of Jesus and the Christian faith? And so we continue our sermon series, Searching for Truth. It is important for us as followers of Jesus Christ to filter and discern truth in a confusing world. A world where we have access to so much information and are bombarded with everyone claiming to speak the truth and claiming that the opposite side conspires to cover up the truth being advocated. And so, in a world full of conspiracies and secrets, we want to learn some biblical principles in our search for truth. Now, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 27 as we take a look at verses 62 all the way to chapter 28 verse 15. We're going to be studying Matthew chapter 27 verse 62 to Matthew chapter 28 verse 15. We're going to take a look at one of the greatest conspiracies in the world that pervades even today about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I read now from Matthew chapter 27 verses 62 to 64. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together to Pilate saying, "Sir, we remember while he was still alive, how that deceiver said, after three days I will rise. Therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest His disciples come by night and steal Him away, and say to the people, He is risen from the dead. So the last deception will be worse than the first. Contextually, Jesus had died on the cross for the sins of mankind and was buried, as the preceding verses tell us. The Bible says that on Saturday... The Jewish religious leaders went to see the Roman governor Pilate to ask another favor. Remember, the Jewish leaders had previously convinced Pilate to have the innocent, sinless Jesus nailed to the cross. After his death, Pilate allowed Jesus' body to be given to Joseph of Arimathea, who, with the help of Nicodemus, prepared Jesus' body for burial and buried Jesus in his own unused tomb and had a large stone rolled against the tomb's door. These Jewish religious leaders now told Pilate that Jesus had claimed He will rise again after three days, and so they were worried. Note what the Pharisees called Jesus. They called Him a deceiver. Imagine how these leaders so hated Jesus. They were so afraid of Jesus' influence as a threat to their own religious powers over the people that even in death, they continued to resort to calling Him derogatory names, trying to discredit anything Jesus said or did. In verse 64, we are told that they asked Pilate to secure the tomb in the tomb area, at least until Sunday, or else the disciples of Jesus may come at night, steal the body, and proclaim Jesus risen from the dead. I point out to you the last phrase of this verse. This last statement of the religious leaders showed that they knew the impact A risen Savior would have on the nation. It would confirm and affirm all that Jesus had said and taught, that salvation indeed does come through Him because He died for the sins of mankind, and that the resurrection of the Savior showed that He conquered death and therefore placing trust in Jesus, the risen Savior would allow all people also to have eternal life. This is why the religious leaders stated that a risen Savior And his claim would be worse than all of Jesus' previous claims because it would confirm everything he said to be true. So they tried to suppress any possibility of this, which is part of Satan's greater plan as well. You know, I find it very interesting that these Jewish religious leaders would even care about having the tomb and the tomb area sealed and guarded. Jesus was dead. They were the ones in power and could suppress any claim of Jesus' resurrection, even if his body could somehow be so easily stolen by the disciples at night. I wonder if they asked Pilate for this favor also, because they somehow not only wanted to prevent a theft, but also wanted to prevent Jesus from resurrecting, just in case that what he did say came true, and to prevent that resurrection with a contingent of Roman guards who would kill Him if He somehow resurrected. These leaders had already seen many of Jesus' miracles in His earthly ministries. They tried to explain it away, even saying that the miraculous power was from the devil himself. So they were rightfully afraid that it may possibly come true. It's almost as if the religious leaders wanted to make sure that Jesus would die again in case He decided to come back alive from the dead, and the Roman guards were there. They would do everything in their power to keep Jesus dead. Now, whatever the case in their reason, they told Pilate this improbable scenario of the scared disciples possibly trying to steal Jesus' body so that Pilate would send soldiers to seal the tomb and guard the tomb area to prevent by any means the truth of a risen Savior from getting out. What you have is the beginning of the creation of a conspiracy theory a conspiracy to subvert the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. You see, ever since Jesus began His public ministry in the area of the Galilee, He was a threat to the established Jewish religious authority structures. And they would do everything in their power to bring down Jesus and minimize His influence on the people. As Matthew 26 tells us, they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill Him. They conspired to get rid of Jesus, And it all began with an agenda to get rid of him because he was a threat to them. The Jewish religious leader's conspiracy was driven by their agenda. And here we can extrapolate our first biblical principle in our search for truth. Number one, look for the agenda behind the proposition and driving the narrative. Look for the agenda behind the proposition and driving the narrative. Many times we are so fascinated and get caught up with the propositions of conspiracy theories and the so-called new revealed secrets that we get worked up that we are reading and hearing something that the entire world doesn't know. And so we champion their cause to help get the news out without looking to see what is driving the groups that are proposing the conspiracy and driving the narrative. For example, every so often you hear that throughout church history, the church has hidden books from the public so that they will not be part of the canon, that somehow the church is suppressing information because somehow that these books coming out would destroy the church. And so you hear about lost books, missing books, hidden books. But in reality, there are no lost books, there are no hidden books, there are no missing books They are not included in the canon because, while they were written around the same time as many of the Bible books, they were found to be forgeries, heretical, and not God-inspired text. And it is for those legitimate reasons that the historical church rejected these books as uninspired and therefore not part of the Bible. For example, the Gospel of Thomas was a forgery written in the third or fourth century. Just because it has an apostle's name to it doesn't mean it was written by the apostle Thomas. This book has lots of heretical teachings of what Jesus supposedly said and supposedly did. None of it is true, though. In fact, it contradicts the Bible. For example, the gospel of Thomas has Jesus saying, blessed is the lion that a person will eat, the lion will become human. Or another supposed saying of Jesus, every woman who makes herself male, will enter into the kingdom of God. Of course, this goes against what the Bible says. There is a collection of writings in the 12th and 13th centuries in Latin and published as the Lost Books of the Bible and the Forgotten Books of Eden in the late 1920s. These writings include books called the Old Testament Pseudepigrapha along with the Apocryphal New Testament Writings. The Old Testament section of the Lost Books includes eight books, and the names sound mystical and fascinating. The books are The Conflict of Adam and Eve with Satan, The Secrets of Enoch, also called Second Enoch, Psalms of Solomon, The Odes of Solomon, The Letter of Areteus, The Fourth Book of Maccabees, The Story of Ahikar, The Testaments of the Twelve Patriarchs. They sound very much like biblical books, but they are not. The New Testament section of these so-called lost books includes a wide variety of writings ranging from the infancy gospel of Thomas to late works that were falsely attributed to early writers, such as the lost gospel of Peter. The first century Gnostics, who were heretics, were so good at this. Gnostics fraudulently attached the names of famous Christians to their writings, such as the gospel of Thomas, the gospel of Philip, and the gospel of Mary, and so on. These Gnostic Gospels were often pointed to as supposed lost books of the Bible, but the Gnostic Gospels are forgeries fraudulently written in the names of the apostles in order to give them a legitimacy in the early church. But the early church fathers were nearly unanimous in recognizing that the Gnostic Gospels were promoting false teachings about virtually every key Christian doctrine countless contradictions between the Gnostic Gospels and the true Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and therefore they should be rejected. But today, many with an agenda to try to discredit the Bible say that the Bible is somehow missing books, and so they produce countless videos, documentaries, articles that try to suggest this to be true. They try to suggest that these missing books are to be accepted in the Bible as inspired. But my friends, there are no missing Bible books. There are no hidden books. There are no books that are taken out of the Bible to propagate a certain truth. Those who advocate for such things have an agenda to minimize the authority of the Scriptures and to create doubt. Now, we'll talk more about agendas and propagandas and bias in a later sermon in the series. But just know that agendas can take a wide range of forms. Some agendas are to go against the government. Some are to go against a particular administration Others are there to sow anarchy and sedition. Still, others just want to cause confusion. Some want to create doubt about the Bible and all things Christian-related. Others are there to make money or to draw attention to themselves. You and I need to identify agendas. Use godly wisdom to see the agenda driving the proposition and the narrative. Much of it is Satan trying to challenge the hearts and confusing the minds of people against God and His people. Remember, Satan's agenda is trying to get us fascinated with conspiracies and secrets to draw our attention away from the Lord and studying the truths of the Scripture. How many hours do you spend trying to uncover the mysteries of this and that which could have been spent studying God's Word? If you want to know what is God's agenda, you can look at Luke chapter 19 verse 10. There it is clearly stated, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. My friends, the heart of God is to save you and me. It is an agenda that is driven by love and grace, with nothing for Himself, but with everything for our benefit. That is the truth we should be focused on and the truth we should be sharing. Now, let me read Matthew chapter 27, verses 65 to 66. Pilate said to them, You have a guard, go your way. Make it as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. Here in verses 65 to 66, Pilate grants their wishes and issues a command and sends his soldiers to make the tomb and the tomb area as secure as possible they do two specific things, as the Bible say. They seal the stone and set guards to guard the tomb area. You know, it's interesting, but this command by Pilate actually helps us defend the truth that Christ really did rise from the dead, because if there was any way for the disciples of Jesus to steal His body, then they could not do so with it being so secured. You know, first of all, the tomb was sealed, meaning most likely a Roman seal using a cord and wax placed on that large stone meant that if it was in any way tampered with, then the full weight of the Roman authority would come to bear. Anyone who messed with this large stone that covered the tomb would have to answer to Rome. For non-Romans like the Jewish disciples, it would probably mean their death, which would have added more motivation for them not to steal the body. Second, the tomb would be well guarded. These Roman guards would presumably be some of the best. It would be in the best interest of both Pilate and the Jewish leaders that the best of soldiers were sent to guard the tomb, at least until Sunday. It was in the vested interest of those assigned to guard the tomb that no one would steal the body, because if someone did steal the body or tamper with the tomb, The soldiers' own lives would be required of them. Do you remember what the Philippian Roman jailer planned to do in Acts chapter 16 when there was a big earthquake and he thought that Paul and Silas and the others under his guard had most likely escaped from prison? He planned to kill himself because he knew that Roman law was such that he would be executed for allowing a prisoner to escape. But of course, Paul tells him not to do so because they were all still there. So these Roman guards would do everything in their power to make sure this tomb would not be tampered with and that no one would steal the body of Jesus because if it did, then their lives would be at stake. This was certainly high motivation. Oh, and one more thing. There were many people, followers of Jesus, skeptics, those indifferent but simply nosy, who were watching to see if Jesus really would rise from the dead just as He said. You know, the location of the tomb really wasn't a secret. As Matthew chapter 27 verse 61 tells us, that the women followed the body until He was buried, and that's why they knew where to come back on Sunday morning. In fact, it seemed all Jerusalem was buzzing about Jesus and what had happened. The two disciples of Jesus on their way to Emmaus told Jesus, whom they didn't recognize, in Luke chapter 24, Are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what has happened? And so there were a lot of eyes, many curious people wondering, would Jesus rise from the dead? And so with many eyes on the tomb, and with it being so heavily guarded, it would have been an impossibility for the fishermen of Galilee to go, quote-unquote, full ninja mode to try to quietly steal the body of Jesus without a single person knowing about it. These are the facts that surround the resurrection of Christ. Any conspiracy or proposed secrets that say that the body was stolen by His cowardly disciples who denied Jesus because they themselves were afraid of their own lives and that Jesus didn't really die but was able to wake up, roll away the stone, and overpower the guards simply isn't true because of the evidence and facts laid out. And from this, we get our second biblical principle in the search for truth, number two. Think through the facts and examine the evidence for believability. Think through the facts and examine the evidence for believability. Sadly, many Christians bind the conspiracies and unsubstantiated secret lies because they've checked their brains at the door, meaning they don't use it. They don't think through the facts on the ground or examine the evidence for plausibility, possibility, and believability. They would rather just believe one YouTube video filmed in a basement rather than having an open mind, doing the research from many sources that is the responsibility of every Christian, as we talked about last week. Take, for example, the Illuminati. Many, especially in Christian circles, have bought into this conspiracy that this secret society will take over the world, or have taken over the world, that a handful of less than ten people who form the Illuminati Council are really in charge of the world and handle and control every aspect of it. Simple logic says that this cannot be the case. This is simply not true. The Antichrist is not the Illuminati. And while the world is moving towards a one-world government and one economic system because of what Revelation 13 reveals about how the future Antichrist will rule the world in the future Great Tribulation, this is not something we need to worry about. The unfolding of God's plan will happen in accordance with His will, But those who believe in the Illuminati conspiracy will point to their influence over every aspect of society. They'll point to the floating eye of Providence on the US dollar bill and say that the Illuminati has infiltrated the financial systems. They'll point to Jay-Z and Kanye West triangle hand symbol and say, look, they're signaling the Illuminati leadership. You see, the Illuminati has influenced culture as well. But if you look at the facts and the evidence, we realize that this is simply not the case. Especially history. History tells us that their influence really died out within a generation. The Illuminati refers to the Bavarian Illuminati, a secret society that operated from about 1776 to 1785. And these people advocated for enlightenment ideals of reason, philanthropy, and secular values amongst society's elite then. In that sense, they really wanted to quote-unquote take over the world to influence the thinkers of that day but they were really never successful, and they died with the age of enlightenment dying. But this idea of the Illuminati crept up through the centuries. Yes, they had odd and bizarre rituals that kept the secrecy of the organization, but they really were simply promoting enlightenment ideals like rational thought and self-rule, and they were anti-clerical and anti-royal, which were revolutionary ideas at a time full of monarchies. But the fascination... And the conspiracy of the Illuminati continues today. And it often shows up in our culture through books made popular by authors such as Dan Brown and, in fact, homemade videos. But it is now no longer associated with only Enlightenment ideals, but it's now mixed in with Satanism, aliens, myths, and other bizarre conspiracy theories, all because it is a secret society. And because it is secret... You can add whatever you want, and people or certain people will still believe. This is also played out in many of the other secret societies like the Knights Templar, the Priory of Zion, and the Order of Skull and Bones. And that being said, there are demonic and satanic influences in some secret societies, perhaps all of them, because any worldview that isn't biblical is from the evil one, and so they should be avoided. And again, this is part of Satan's plan to instill unfounded fear in your heart and to waste your time researching on these secret societies instead of focusing on God's Word. And so, you take off your eye from the mark, which should be Jesus, and instead focus it elsewhere. I don't fear these secret societies. I don't worry about what they're doing. Most of them are very small, and they don't influence our society. And indeed, there's nothing to fear, because Christ is already victorious. So, my friends, in prayer, use your brain and wisely discern and examine the facts and evidence for believability before you advocate for it. But let's all believe and advocate for what we should believe, the revealed truth about Jesus Christ and what is revealed in the Scriptures instead of believing what we should not believe. Let's come back to our story in Matthew chapter 27. In spite of what the religious leaders and Pilate had done, Jesus Christ did in fact resurrect from the dead. So now there is a problem How do the religious leaders cover their tracks and explain the risen Savior to an inquisitive public? Well, they execute a cover-up plan and will employ many tactics to do so. Let's see their methods, which is being used today. Jump with me to the next chapter, Matthew 28, I read verses 11 to 13. Now while they were going, behold, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them. His disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Of course, it was only natural that some of the soldiers and guards reported what happened. But notice that it wasn't to their commanders in the Roman army hierarchy, nor to Pilate, that they first reported what happened. Instead, they reported to the Jewish religious leaders because they knew they were in trouble. Their lives were at risk because there was no more body in the tomb. If they were to report accurately, they would have reported that no one came to steal the body, and Jesus did in fact resurrect, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. But if this story got out, many would have believed in Jesus. So the Jewish religious leaders assembled together, and the Bible tells us they bribed the soldiers with a lot of money, so-called hush money. Money is always involved in a cover-up. Follow the money trail, as people say. People who propagate conspiracy and secrecies often have a money angle. I had the privilege of backpacking through Scotland a few times. It's absolutely a beautiful country. If I were to ask you five things you know about Scotland, I'm sure for the vast majority of you, the Loch Ness Monster would be on that list of top five things. I've been to Loch Ness, which is really a lake, and I've never seen this aquatic monster known as Nessie. I once asked the local there if he really believed the Loch Ness monster, and he said, of course not. They've done sonographic mapping of this lake and found nothing, and that famous photograph called Surgeon's Photo from 1934 has been debunked as a hoax. However, he said that the mystery and the legend brings in the tourist money to the area, So, we locals keep the legend alive. You see, there's always a money angle often in conspiracies. In verse 13, we find out that the religious leaders tell the soldiers to tell those who ask an alternative story, which was that the disciples came and stole the body of Jesus. Now, we've already talked about how unviable and how unrealistic this story is, how professional trained soldiers with eyes on the tomb are unable to prevent Untrained fishermen from rolling away the stone over the tomb without making any noise and unseen able to steal the body of Jesus. But as long as there is a plausible alternative story that's good enough for people to believe in, and that's what you have some possible story with perhaps a bit of truth, and people not wanting to believe the real truth, they will always gravitate to the alternative. And so, people. Who don't want to believe that Jesus resurrected will latch onto this false story that the disciples stole the body, however unbelievable it is. Take, for example, our story at the beginning about birds being drones. We know that the government does surveillance. We don't know how. So, one can see how I can be led into believing that birds are really surveillance drones, because who knows what unusual techniques can be used, even though the logical side of us knows that birds are real. We'll always gravitate to an alternative story if we will not believe in the real truth presented. Look at verses 14 and 15. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will appease him and make you secure. So they took the money and did as they were instructed, And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. The Jewish religious leaders assured the soldiers that they didn't need to worry because they will take care of Pilate and explain it to him. Most likely, they also bribed off Pilate to look the other way. And so what you have here is a big cover-up. Verse 15 tells us that the soldiers guarding the tomb took the money because the alternative, which was most likely death, wasn't a better option. And they simply told the people that the body was stolen, because people don't often ask much questions of those in authority, and people couldn't believe someone would just come back from the dead. And so the misinformation that the body of Jesus was stolen continues to be propagated even until today. One of the things you and I have to realize is that cover-ups are very elaborate. They are very complex. They are very believable if the story is told well, and everyone shares the same story. Often money is involved, and often there is a viable alternative when people don't want to look at the facts, and they don't want to look at the facts because they want to believe in something else. What you have there is the perfect storm for a conspiracy. Whatever your view is on the COVID-19 vaccine or vaccines in general, it's interesting to note that researchers have found that just 12 people are responsible for 65% of the misleading claims and outright lies about the COVID-19 vaccines that proliferate on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In our NPR research, these 12 individuals are well known to both researchers and the social networks. They include anti-vaccine activists, alternative health entrepreneurs, and physicians. Some of them run multiple accounts across different platforms. They often promote natural health, Some even sell supplements and books. Many of the 12 have even been spreading scientifically disproven medical claims and conspiracies for years. Imagine just 12 people can have up to 65% access across all social media platforms, and many of them are selling their own books and supplements. Think about how much money they must make. But listen carefully. I mention this not to castigate those who have some valid medical concerns about vaccines. This is just to illustrate that you only need a few motivated people with self-interest to propagate a conspiracy. You see, our third biblical principle in the search for truth is number three, realize that lies are hard to refute because of underlying motivations. Realize that lies are hard to refute because of underlying motivations. The soldiers had strong motivation to propagate the lie because of the money they took and to save their own careers and lives. Pilate had motivation to look the other way because of his own political aspirations. The Jewish religious leaders had motivation to spread this alternative story and this alternative reality to discredit Jesus and His followers forever. And the public had motivation to believe in this alternative story because it's easier to believe the body was stolen than to believe that someone conquered death and rose from the dead." We need to understand that lies are hard to refute because of underlying motivations. But this is a warning to you and me who often want to turn someone around having fallen into conspiracies and unsubstantiated lies. It will be very difficult to do so because those who propagate these conspiracies are motivated. They have money. They have time they know how to use the social media platforms. And those who believe in these conspiracy theories and these lies often want to be in the right. And even though it is unsubstantiated, even though it is unbelievable, they'll point to these stories and they say, I am right. And so, my friends, it may not be worth your time and effort to engage them and to try to win them over. Just offer them some verified information and pray that God will open their eyes to see the truth you move on to more important things. Arguing with them is at some point a waste of your time. You can better spend your time in the Lord's work. Now, let's go back up a few verses to the beginning of chapter 28, beginning in verse 1, for the truth, the real story, and point out something about truth that we need to realize, reading verses 1 and 2. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. It was early on Sunday morning, on the third day after Jesus was crucified and buried, that the Bible tells us there was an earthquake as an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and rolled the stone from the door and sat on top of it. I just want you to picture that scene. The soldiers are guarding the tomb, and perhaps there are a few people around the tomb area. They are sleepy, or they were sleeping, but they are now awakened. Why? Because of this great earthquake. So this earthquake wakes up everyone, and everyone is fully awake. And there they see an angel come down, and he rolls back the stone, and he sits on top of it as if to show everyone that he has done it, and perhaps daring the guard to try to stop him. There was nothing stealthy or secret about this rolling away of this large stone that covered the tomb of Jesus. Everyone would have seen it, having been been wakened up by that earthquake, verse 3 and 4. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. This angel, so majestic and so awe-inspiring that the guards were stunned, they were very afraid, and they most likely fainted in their fears. And there goes the best of the Roman guards trying to secure the tomb area. And now the tomb was open for all to visit and for them to see something. What was there to see? Look at verses 5 and 6. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for He is risen. As He said, Come and see the place where the Lord lay." The angel told the women who had gone to the tomb that morning that they were welcome to come and see. Come and see what? Come and see that there was no body. Jesus had risen from the dead. You know, Jesus didn't really need the stone to be rolled away to be resurrected. But it needed to be rolled away so that people could see and believe the evidence that there was no more body, that in fact Jesus had resurrected. So in many ways, the rolling away of the tomb was for the people to come and witness that Jesus, in fact, had resurrected. Reading verses 7 to 10. And go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead, and indeed He is going before you into Galilee. There you will see Him, behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring His disciples' word. And as they went to tell His disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, Rejoice! So they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. There was no way that the cowardly disciples of Jesus could have stolen the body of Jesus because they were scared and in hiding. But it was brave women who met the resurrected Jesus who would tell the disciples that Jesus is alive. Notice what Jesus told the women in verse 10 to tell the disciples, go and see, go to Galilee and see the risen, resurrected Savior. There was nothing held secret. Everything was out in the open. There was nothing to hide. What a contrast to the actions of the Jewish religious leaders, to the actions of Pilate and the soldiers who did everything in secret and in the dark of the night. My friends, when you have the truth, there is nothing to hide. There should be no fear that everyone knows. Satan, on the other end, who propagates lies and deceit, has to hide his, quote-unquote, truths, which are lies, and then masquerade them because he's afraid for his lies to be exposed. So if something has to be hidden, then perhaps it is not true. You see, biblical principle number four, in the search for truth, number four, recognize that truth has no secrets. There is nothing to hide. Recognize that truth has no secrets, there is nothing to hide. Again, Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29 reminds us this, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. Truth has no secrets. So secret societies and conspiracies that espouse you to seek out their secret truths are a waste of time. They have nothing of truth to share with you, and if they do, then it wouldn't be secrets. By the way, remember, I asked if you wanted to know the special secret reason why I get my hair cut every 21 days, and the reason is this, because my hair grows long and the sides start to look unkept after 21 days. I know it's a letdown of an answer as you were expecting something more special, but it is to show that the pursuit of supposed secret truths is often a letdown and a waste of your time to pursue. This trick to call something a secret and then get people interested has been around for centuries. The heretical Gnostics that tried to infiltrate the early church used it to entice the believers to follow the heretical teachings by proposing secret knowledge. In fact, the word Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis, meaning knowledge the Gnostics believed there was a deeper, mysterious, or secret knowledge reserved for those with true understanding leading to their heretical version of salvation. And so, they would tell the people, if you want to know a secret truth, come and listen to what we're advocating. And many, unfortunately, fell into their heresy. People today are similar when they advocate that the Bible has secret codes and hidden meanings and the Hebrew and Greek letters of the Bible, or in the numbers of the Bible. Again, this is all nonsense and simply untrue. God's truth is clearly revealed. It is never hidden from us. God's truths are always clearly revealed. In fact, the truth of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ, is clearly revealed in Scripture. There is no need for a, quote-unquote, deeper truth other than to understand that we're all sinners. We all deserve death. Jesus Christ paid the price of death that we deserve. And if we place our trust in Him as our personal Savior, the one who died in our place, then we have salvation and eternal life. It is as simple as that, and it is clearly and loudly proclaimed throughout the Scriptures, Jesus saves. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John chapter 3, verse 16. So, my friends, as you and I continue to search for truth and apply truth in the way we live our lives, remember that in the search for truth, look for the agenda behind the proposition and driving the narrative. In the search for truth, think through the facts and examine the evidence for believability. In the search for truth, realize that lies are hard to refute because of underlying motivations. And in the search for truth, recognize that truth has no secrets. There is nothing to hide. My friends, in the search for truth, stay away from conspiracies and unsubstantiated secrets. Instead, focus on revealed truth. And the Bible is God's revealed truth to us. Let's spend time in His Word, understanding what we can be sure is truth. May God give you wisdom and discernment. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for exposing the deceptive practices of Satan. But I pray, Lord, that You would help us as followers of Jesus Christ to not be so fascinated with that which is kept secret, to help us not to be so fascinated with that which is alternative to revealed truth. Help us to focus on revealed truth, give us the wisdom and discernment to know what is true and help us to center and foundation our life upon the revealed truth of the Bible. I pray, Lord, that you would give us the fortitude and the desire to live out the truths of the Scripture so that we may please you and serve as a living witness to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.